Welcome to Practical Christian Living. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe it changes destinies. I, I believe that your guys' prayers in my life and the life of my family is the very reason that we're able to keep our head above water now. You, with my wife passing away, I, I don't think we'd have our, our head up if so many people didn't pray for us. And I believe that it's made a difference. There is real power in prayer. When we pray for those around us, for those in need, God moves in their lives and the time we spend in prayer also moves in and changes us. We see evidence of this throughout the Bible. With more on the power of prayer, here's the continuation of our teaching in Hebrews 13, verses 15 through 25 with Robert Furrow. Please stay with us. Now, therefore, what we ought to do while we're here is verse 15, therefore by him, we're not doing this because we've determined to do it, but God's going to stir it up in us. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice is something you give. A sacrifice is something that costs you something. That's what a sacrifice is. So he says, therefore, since we aren't living in this city, let us therefore offer up a continual sacrifice of praise. That is not only that when we gather together that we would be worshipers. And again, to some degree, this campus especially, I'm preaching to the choir. You guys know how to worship, all right? And you guys love to worship, and that's great. But every once in a while, you see somebody, and I'm not, I'm not saying that while worship is going on, you start looking around and judging whether or not people are worshiping, all right? But I've done that already for you, so I'll share this with you, that once in a while, I'll look around and worship, and I see people that are just like this. Now, I don't know. You might be worshiping. It's really worshiping from the heart that matters, right? But I doubt most people like this, 99.9% .9 of them aren't worshiping. There might be the one inside. He's really like, praise God. He's just like going berserk, but on the outside, <laughs> that's what he's doing. You might say, well, I'm a more subdued person. Let it go, okay? Now, I'm not telling you to, to worship out of accord. The Bible says worship in one accord. That doesn't mean we all shove into a Honda. Ba -ba bump right? Okay. That means that you and I, that when we worship together, it's like a room that's together. That tells us that for you offbeat clappers that are here, stop it. Okay? You know what I'm talking about? Everybody in the room, everybody in the room is bump, 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 bump. And here you are. Bump, 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 bump. I don't know what's going on. If you can't clap on time, if you can't be in one accord, don't clap. Don't ever do the offbeat clapping, ever. Ever do the offbeat clapping, all right? Don't ever do the offbeat clapping. It's going to say in a minute, obey those who are in authority over you. Don't ever do the offbeat clapping, all right? Hey, if you find yourself in a church where they're more, you know, into it than what we are, they're, you know, kind of dancing in the aisle and the Holy Ghost jig and they're going to town, join in with them. Join in. Get, you know, go in and say, hey, I want to be in one accord with these people. Put your pride aside and just join into worship. Or if you find yourself in a very churchy church and there's a lot of stained glass and candles and they've all got their hymns out and all their suits and ties and they're holding their hymn, then don't start dancing a jig in the aisle. <laughs> get your hymn out, you know, book out. Hold it, get your baritone on and go on and start to sing, you know. Uh, it is well with my soul. Just get into it. <laughs> sing it the way they're singing it. 
that's worshiping in one accord but worship really shut the world outside and set your hearts on God and lift him up the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of the people or another way that it's said there is that God is enthroned on the praises of his people that means when you begin to worship him there's a way that God is among us that he's not with us if we're not worshiping him and this is something that I've been praying for us about as a body that we would even become greater worshipers that we would worship all the more putting the things of the world outside and really lifting him up now it says that it's a sacrifice and it also says it's a sacrifice of the lips so for those of you that do this when you worship or this one's worse worship's going on and someone's like this How about this one? Worship's taking place and someone's like this. See, that's me when I'm judging people as to whether or not they're worshiping. All right. So, therefore, let us uh, continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks in his name. So it's not only praising his name and getting into the songs and understanding what they're saying and giving God that glory, but it is also being thankful to him, always being thankful because no matter what's going on, you can be assured that God is working in your life. Now, he goes on to a new topic in verse 16, where he says it's connected by sacrifice. And remember, this is a list of Christian conduct. So also when we gather together, not only that we lift up a sacrifice of praise, but do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Don't forget to do good. The, the Bible says that God is good. The Bible says do good to all men but especially to those of the household of faith. That means that when you get up in the morning, you ought to be looking for ways to bless people. You ought to be looking for ways to do good. You do good when a guy turns on his turn signal next to you and you slow down and let him in. Seriously, you're doing good. If you cut him off, man, you're getting in here, man. You ever do that to somebody? They turn on their turn signal, you speed up. No, not in here, not in here, not in here. So then they pull in behind you and you've got the Jesus loves you bumper sticker in the back. Jesus loves you, but I don't. I cut you off. You're going to get in front of me. No way you're going to do that. But that you look, go out of your way to find a way to bless one another. Find somebody at church here who's lonely or maybe sitting by themselves and not connected with anybody. What does it take for us to go up to someone and say, hi, my name's Robert. What's yours? You've been here for a while. Begin to talk to them. Just make them feel welcome. Do good uh, and share. I love this. Almost looks like it's talking to kids. Remember to do good, okay? And share your stuff. Because the kid's like, mine, it's mine, it's mine. God says, share it. I am hanging out with my grandchildren a little while ago. One of them's 10 months old, around there. The other one is four years old. And so I'm holding my, my youngest, okay? The, my youngest grandson. And uh, my granddaughter, who's hyper. I don't know where she gets this hyperness from. Nobody in our family. <laughs> and she comes running over and she hugs him and I'm already gentle 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 and she kisses him on the forehead and I'm like exactly like I'm like this is I was well pleased I was like this is awesome I'm sure the time of biting and hair pulling and shoving will all come all right but right then I think that's what this is saying when it says remember to do good and, and share for with such sacrifices God is well pleased when we do that, when we're willing to give, when we reach out to people who are suffering, when we're willing to take of our finances and help someone else, God's well pleased with that. I think he sits back and goes, that's what I want. Too many of us are pulling hair and biting and fighting, causing strife and contention within the body of Christ. And I just think when we walk in love and we do good and we're doing those things, God's well pleased. 
Now it goes on in verse 17, and I love this verse. This is my favorite verse in the Bible. <laughs> Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. <laughs> There's another passage that talks about obedience to those who rule over you, but especially those who, who uh, labor in the word of God. Now, this is to the body. That what God wants is for there to be a sense of receiving and accepting the person that God has placed in as a gift over the body. There are rulers, and God wants them to be in with joy. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say unto you, if you receive someone I sent, you receive me. And if you receive me, then you receive the Father. That is Jesus who is perfect, without flaw, spotless the spotless lamb of god sends out men as gifts to the body who are flawed who are imperfect right because there's no one is perfect there's no there's no perfect church people that are on a search for the perfect church you've heard it said if you ever find the perfect church don't join it because you'll ruin it <laughs> right there's, there's no one who's perfect and there's no pastor who's perfect but if you are confident that this person has been placed by God here. When you receive him and all of his imperfection, when you receive him, you receive Jesus. And when you receive Jesus, you receive the Father. So it's a way that God says, I'm gonna be in your life and I'm gonna work in your life if you can receive that person. And, and here it says, obey them. O obey, uh, not in, in 1 Peter chapter five, he says to shepherds, to co-shepherds, Jesus, the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, but he says to people like me that have been sent out by God, he says, don't lord over the people and don't do it because you have to, but do it because you want to, do it willingly. Could you imagine pastoring because you have to? What a horrible thing that would be. Do you know that the average pastor stays in a church for three years and then they're gone? I, 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 let me put it this way. The average pastor stays a pastor for three years, not just three years in one church then moves on to another church, on to another church. The average pastor is a pastor for three years and he's like, I'm done what do you think the main reason is that pastors cite as leaving and don't say running out of sermons because I, I do think that happens but rarely you know what it is what I call sheep attacks that's it and sheep can be brutal man they come at you their little flat teeth <laughs> sheep attacks can be brutal but that's one of the reasons that they leave because it's such a drag for them they're, they're they aren't doing it in joy anymore you heard about the guy the Johnny, his mother comes in in the morning. Johnny, get up. You got to go to church. Ah, I don't want to go to church. You got to go. Why do I got to go to church? Because that's what God wants you to do is go to church. And because God blesses you when you go there. And on top of that, you're the pastor. <laughs> it says, do it not because of dishonest gain, but lead them by example. So for the pastors, there's the direction. And then for the people, and it said, God's given these gifts and obey those who rule over you. You have the choice to put yourself under someone spiritually. And listen, if you're not confident, the person that you have put yourself under spiritually has been put there by God. If you say, well, I know, receive them and someone Jesus sent, but I don't think he sent. Then what are you doing there? Why are you there? Don't put yourself under someone that you go, I don't think he was sent by God. Put yourself under that person knowing that he's not going to be perfect. And certainly they don't live in an ivory tower. We don't live in an ivory tower that can't be approached, right? We should be able to criticize, but you don't want to have the spirit of criticism. Criticizing something that's going on that you would like to see change or that you don't think is right is good and should be done. 
A spirit of criticism within a fellowship can destroy it. A spirit of criticism can, just, can permeate and cause bitterness. And some poor pastor that's in this church where there's a spirit of criticism and everything is criticized and torn down, and he's certainly not doing it with joy. Look at what it goes on to say here in 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as ones who must give an account. I heard John MacArthur say one time, I don't want any more people in this church because I'm not sure I'm doing a good job uh, with the ones that I've got, and I got to give an account to God for it. If someone like John MacArthur says that, what hope do I have? It goes on to say, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. Let the pastor pastor with joy and not with grief. How many guys have quit because they're just no longer have a joy in, in ministering? I heard of a church. There, there are some churches that have a formal membership. We ask you guys to be members here because you commit yourself to God and to this body okay but there's some churches that have formal membership and you go through a lot of hoops and you sign a paper saying i will give my money to this church okay that's what you do when you join as a member but you have the right to vote in and out your pastor and someone in the church can call for a vote of confidence on the pastor so this guy had a vote of confidence called on him and he had to go on that saturday morning they gather everybody together and he went, and somebody got up and said why they think he shouldn't be there and then somebody got up and said why they think that he should be there first of all i wouldn't want to go through that okay by itself but then he was voted in as pastor by 51% of the body. And he got up and resigned. Could you imagine ministering to 49% of your flock when 49% of the people don't want you there? You know, you just look out there, they are, you know, you're supposed to be here, want somebody else, and you're here. He just quit. He said, you know what, I, I, I quit. Let him do it with joy and not with grief because that would be unprofitable to you. It's not that he's saying, I'm gonna get you. Some people think that's a threat from God. If you don't do it with joy, God's going to get you. It'd be unprofitable for you if you're out there making pastor's life miserable. I'm going to get you. No, he's simply saying, if he's able to do it with joy and not with grief, then you're going to benefit from that. I mean, we, have a, we have a good time. We enjoy being together by the joy of the Lord, by God being in our presence in our midst. And when we can do that, there's effective things that take place. But if what's done is done in the spirit of criticism, if everybody's angry in church and the pastor's even up and angry in church, there's not anything really happening that's going to be effective, is there? So finally, he throws in the towel. And so it goes on to say then, let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be profitable for you. And then finally, and here's where he wraps the list up. He gives them the last thing, pray for us. He's given them this whole list of what they're supposed to be doing in Christian conduct from verse one. And now he says, pray for us. Because whoever the author is here, and I believe it to be Paul, but could be someone else, whoever the author is, believes in prayer. He says, pray for us for, this is the reason they should pray for him, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. Kind of an odd thing to say. Pray for us because we deserve it. Not because of what he's done, but because of the position that has been given to him. Pray for us because we are desiring to do everything honorably. If you believe that God has placed me here and that God's done that work and that, that I can say to you, I have a good conscience, it's a good thing to minister with a good conscience. If pastors are out doing things they shouldn't do, their conscience will strike them, the ministry will suffer and scandal will probably break out. Minister by having things right with God, living as an example before them. And if you could say, I have a good conscience, hey, pray for them lift them up you certainly don't want to be praying for somebody you don't believe should be there right and what kind of things are you going to pray if they don't, you don't think they should be there god get them out of there right rather than praying for them 
He believes in prayer so much that he asks for prayer. You know, there's this new kind, you know, the Bible says winds of doctrine come blowing in and, and don't be carried away by them. There's a new doctrine today. It's, it's a spiritual or Christian doctrine that is connected to fatalism. You know what fatalism is, right? It's a basic philosophy that says life is life and what's going to happen is going to happen and uh, you can't change it, so so be it. A fatalist is fond of saying it is what it is. I can't do anything to change it. I can't do anything, didn't do anything to make it happen. It just is what it is and life is this way. Now the spiritual fatalism is a little different. Those that have they've got this new doctrine, it's connected to predestination. Well, God's predestinated everything and you can't do anything to change it. They even teach that prayer doesn't change things. That prayer is good for you, so you ought to pray and that's it. And I say, can I say this about this false teaching? Nonsense. It's nonsense because throughout the Bible, prayer changes things. From the very beginning in Genesis, the first time you see people praying, God answers their prayers. Abraham prays for Abimelech and God heals them. And on and on throughout the entire Bible. In fact, this guy believes in it so much. Look at what he says. He says in the next verse, but I especially urge you to do this. That is pray for him. I especially urge you to do this that I might be restored to you the sooner. He believes that if they pray for him, that he's going to get to them earlier. That he's going 25 miles an hour, and if they pray for him, he'll kick it up to 75 miles an hour, and he'll be there earlier. He believes that. I believe that prayer changes things. I believe that prayer changes destinies. The Bible says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. And you don't have when you ask because you're asking amiss. You're asking with the wrong motives that you might spend it on yourself instead of for the very power that God has given us prayer for. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe it changes destinies. I, I believe that your guys' prayers in my life and the life of my family is the very reason that we're able to keep our head above water now. You, with my wife passing away, I, I don't think we'd have our, our head up if so many people didn't pray for us. And I believe that it's made a difference. I, I'm not telling you everything's perfect with us, Okay. We have our struggles, we have our dark days, we have our difficult times. But I believe that your prayers have made a difference for my children as well, going through this time, and certainly for me, having a body that faithfully lifts us up and prays for us. And I believe that's the case with prayer in general. If you pray for your grandkids, if you pray for your children, if you pray for your parents, if you pray for your friends and your coworkers, God is going to move in their lives. And so then he says, here now as he wraps this up. This is the wrap-up of this whole section on Christian conduct. Now may the God of peace, who brought the Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of an everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will. How is it that he's completing you? In the good works that you're doing. As you go out and begin to do the works that God's called you to do, God works in you. If you don't go out to do the works he's calling in you, well, it goes on to say, working in you, what is well-pleasing in his sight? That God is the one who's doing that work in you. As you go out to do the work that God's called you to do, God begins to do a work in you and you find yourself well-pleasing in God's sight. Again, that God hasn't given up on you. It says in Philippians that God who started these things is gonna complete the good work that God has started. Now he's writing to a church there in, in Philippi who feels like it's the end, who feels like God's not gonna continue things on. And he writes to them and says, I'm confident that God's gonna complete what he started and God's gonna do it with you too. Even if you find yourself in a place today where things are difficult and hard, you find yourself as a failure before God, 
you've been self-destructive in your life, God's able to come in and pick up the pieces and allow you to discover the life that he has for you. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. It says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I believe that's the case for every person here. I'll say it one more time because I really believe God's speaking to some here. God hasn't given up on you. You may think he has, but he hasn't given up on you. And he will make you complete. And then he says in verse 22, and I, well, I love at the end of 21 that he just kind of breaks into praise. He says, in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory forever and ever, amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the words of my exhortation. Paul has wrote some difficult things for them to hear. Paul has warned them that they would not go back to a priest that can go behind the veil because Jesus tore the veil. Why would you ever go back to an earthly priest who can go behind the veil when you have a heavenly priest who tore the veil? And he says, bear with these words of exhortation for I have written to you in a few words. <laughs> no, when you go back and read, you look at Hebrews. It's a long book. What do you mean a few words? Well, in reality, did you know that you can read the book of Hebrews in less than an hour? If you sit down from beginning to end, you can read it in less than an hour. Now, I'm not saying you understand everything that you read there in less than an hour, but you can read it. And he says, I've written to you in a few words. And then he says, know that our brother Timothy has been set free. See, I, I, I think this is Paul. I mean, again, it might not be, but I think it is. And he says, Timothy's been set free with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. He says, if he comes to me, he's been set free. If he comes to me, then we're going to come to you guys. And he says, greet all of those who rule over you and all of the saints, those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all, amen. He ends the book. He's not just ending it, going, okay, grace be with you all, amen. In the name of Jesus, amen. He's actually saying, I want grace in your life. Grace be with you all, amen. What is grace? Undeserved favor. See, a lot of Christians believe if I do these certain things, then God's gonna bless me. And I have no doubt, God won't be a debtor to any man. And I have no doubt that if you go out and work hard, that God will bless you because God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, okay? No doubt. However, I don't, I'd rather do the things for God as a gift and then walk in his grace. Because if he's paying me back for what I've done, that's got a limit to it. It's limit, limited, but grace is unlimited. And if you say here today, well, I don't deserve anything God would give me. Well, bingo, that's it. That's grace. It's undeserved favor. So you who say, well, I don't deserve it. Oh, here you go. May you walk in fields of grace. May grace rain down on you. May God just cover you in his grace and you find yourself so blessed in your relationship with him. May God knit our hearts together as we worship him here, doing good and sharing, obeying the spiritual direction that we've been given, making it a joy for us to be here and knowing that in doing all of that, it's God who's going to complete us. That we would say to him, not nauseatingly, you complete me. Because God really does complete us. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you. We, we love your word. We love taking time to, to pour ourselves into it. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would now fall upon us, taking these truths and bringing them deeply into our lives, understanding that you are at work, and for those that are at the bottom, for those that have been struggling with strongholds, for those that have done that sin again and find themselves with their conscience striking them here, Lord, I pray that you would pick them up, dust them off, show them that you haven't given up on them and you've got a plan for their lives. Put them back on their feet again, for it is the goodness of God 
that brings about repentance. And we thank you so much for your goodness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Kagan 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.